It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. I've often given the illustration of a plane to help explain the gospel life. And since we are knee-deep in World War II, this illustration fits perfectly into today's message. Hey, this is Eric. And before we get into my message today, I wanted to remind all of you restless quarantines out there that if you're looking for some spiritual excitement this next month, you'll want to join us for our first ever Ellerslie Online training, which starts June 15th. Go to ellerslie.com to learn more. I hope you're encouraged by today's daily thunder as we travel back in time to January 14th. 1942. The Voyage of Captain Rogers. So this, this particular message is going to deal with what I would say the, is the heart of the gospel. You see, what happened at that cross is so sizable and significant for the bodies and the souls of men. Many of us recognize that the shed blood of Jesus is going to impact our soul and that there's this covering, this atoning work of grace that is going to redeem and wash and it's going to make us fit to enter into the heavenly realms. But we oftentimes fail to miss out on the fact that it is also a purchase of our very bodies and that this entrance into the heavenly realms is not just when we die, but right now. And that's the part of the gospel that makes it functional and work. And uh, it's sort of like the difference between staring at this very nice vehicle, this very nice car uh, in a magazine, and having that very nice car that you can drive around today. In other words, many of us esteem this great work of the cross, and we esteem the fact that we have eternal life in Christ Jesus, but we don't recognize that that eternal life starts now. That this body has been purchased, that the living God desires to move in and make this his residence, and he desires to make these hands, these feet, these eyes, this nose, this mouth, this heart, this is his body. And he desires to showcase to this world the incredible, impossible, amazing virtue of our God. And so, this message follows along those lines. And so it's an imperfect metaphor, as is every metaphor, truly. Uh, that's A metaphor is not as it is, as much as, as it is like. And so this is an imperfect one in a lot of ways, but it has a lot of great shadow uh, connectivity to it, to the real thing. Uh, the Voyage of Captain Rogers. Introducing Captain John Kelly Rogers. And so his, his actual last name is Kelly Rogers, which is somewhat of an unusual name. And, and so even though in my title I called it The Voyage of Captain Rogers, I technically should have called it The Voyage of Captain Kelly Rogers, but you would have thought that Kelly was his first name. So as a result, I, 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 I took some, liber- some license as a speaker to name this uh, just The Voyage of Captain Rogers. But his name is Captain John Kelly Rogers. He's not a very well-known character in World War II. He played a very unique role at a very significant time in this grand drama of World War II, right in in January of 1942. And I'm going to go into that, but I'm going to sort of liken us to Captain John Kelly Rogers uh, in this story. Now, there's a few different times where I could say, well, and we're sort of like Winston Churchill in this story. We're sort of like the plane in this story. However, I'm going to look at this big plane, which I'm going to introduce you to right now. And if you're here uh, at Ellerslie in the, in the chapel, you can see this really cool. Or if you're streaming, I think we have our keynote linked. Good. And so you can see this right now, and it's the flying boat. Uh, and 
I tell you what, that is one of the coolest contraptions. This is this huge plane that could actually take off and land on water. And uh, so this is this flying boat is going to become a very, very important uh, theme in this particular message because this voyage of uh, Captain Rogers is going to be in this flying boat. And so it's going to take off from the waters of the, in the, around the Bermuda Islands, and it's going to fly to England with some very, very significant and important cargo. January 14th, 1942, the extraordinary cargo comes aboard. So if you and I are, we're like this flying boat. It's, it's been bought with a price. It's been commissioned by uh, the government of heaven to carry a very, very important personage known as the life of Christ. We know him as the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of Christ. It's the very life of our God that is given to us to live and to be transferred inside of this boat from here to there. We are supposed to go on a mission, and it's an important mission to carry a very, very precious cargo. So January 14th, 1942. Winston Churchill is going to pick up the story from here. On the 14th, I took leave of Mr. Roosevelt. So Winston Churchill is going to be with Roosevelt in Washington, D.C. for five weeks It is a very, very significant five weeks as we've been walking through a lot of the different dimensions of it in the previous uh, episodes in this series. But just on January 1st, 1942, they're going to sign the Grand Alliance or what is going to become the United Nations. This is going to be the pact of 25, 26 nations that are going to come together to stand against the Nazi tyranny, the Nazi uh, menace. They're going to stand against the Japanese overreach and the Italian uh, idiocy. In other words, hey, we're going to stop this. This is wrong, and it is uh, a a pall upon uh, the world today. Let's eradicate it. And so it's a very, very significant movement. It's going to formalize this allied cause at a whole greater level. Now it's time to go home. It is critical that Winston Churchill gets home. He has crisis in the Pacific. He needs to be able to steer the ship, preferably from London. There are a lot of weights on his shoulders. It is, uh, it, when he was in Washington, Winston Churchill will not write this, and whether or not he even knew it, some scholars actually say that Winston Churchill did not know that he had a heart attack when he was in Washington, D.C., but he actually had a heart attack, according to his doctor, but his, his physician, who supposedly did not tell him that he did. And so the next day, he's up and going about, I think he even spoke to Congress the next day. I'm not, or it might have been the day he spoke to Congress that he had the heart attack. The pressures on this man are so severe. And now he needs to get on a battleship and cross the Pacific to London, or to England, to the island of Great Britain, let's be specific. And... He has 20 U-boats that are, that are uh, on the map that are showing their attempt to stop his forward progression because everyone knows he's in Washington, D.C. The Germans know where he's at. And so they want to somehow destroy him on the way home. So you could imagine this guy just is recovering from a heart attack, likely because of high levels of anxiety. Now he needs to cross the ocean in a battleship. Hey, it's, a, it's a strong battleship. The Duke of York's, you know, nothing to be uh, trifled with. However... U-boats are nothing to be trifled with. And there's 20 of them along the way. And, and I don't know if that's 20 wolfbacks or 20 just individual U-boats, but it's, it's something that is uh, disturbing enough that uh, Winston Churchill remembers it. On the 14th, I took leave of Mr. Roosevelt. He seemed concerned about the dangers of the voyage. Our presence in Washington had been for many days public to the world, and the chart showed more than 20 U-boats on our homeward courses. 
We flew in beautiful weather from Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia, to Bermuda, where the Duke of York, that's the battleship, with escorting destroyers awaited us inside the coral reefs. I traveled in an enormous Boeing flying boat. Remember, there's our flying boat, guys. Which made a most favorable impression upon me. During the three hours trip, I made friends with the chief pilot, Captain Kelly Rogers. Hey, there's our guy. Who seemed a man of high quality and experience. I took the controls for a bit to feel this ponderous machine of 30 or more tons in the air. (laughs) The prime minister of Great Britain is going to actually take the controls. And he wants to fly this thing on the way to Bermuda. So whether or not that's a wise thing to do, I'm not sure. But he did it. I got more and more attached to the flying boat. Presently, I asked the captain, what about flying from Bermuda to England? Can she carry enough petrol? For us, fuel. Under this stolid exterior, he became visibly excited. Of course we can do it. The present weather forecast would give a 40 miles an hour wind behind us. We could do it in 20 hours. I asked how far it was, and he he said, about 3,500 miles. At this, I became thoughtful. Now, in this part of the story, Winston Churchill, this is a huge decision for the world uh, of how Winston Churchill is going to get home, okay? And I'm not going to go into the dimensions of that decision of how they are going to decide of if they should use the Duke of York, which is going to take a minimum of eight days to get back, and the zigzags they may need to make to avoid U-boats could add to it incrementally, right? So... It's important that Winston Churchill is home as soon as possible. This flying boat could get him home in 20 hours. However, it's a flight over the Atlantic. And at that time, that was extremely unusual. So you could just imagine the tensions uh, in this. They are going to decide to fly, to, to use the flying boat. And to me, this is going to be a parallel with like the life of Eric Ludi, or you could put your name in there. It's like, whoa, God, are you sure you want to use the body of Eric Ludi to take on this enormous task? Are you sure you can't find someone better than this to carry the glory of God? Are are, are we sure that we want to do this? Now, granted, Winston Churchill and his war cabinet are not the glory of God, right? But you can understand the stakes are high. In other words, it's heavy weight in this situation. Captain John Kelly Rogers can't carry this cargo 3,500 miles, can he? So Captain John Kelly Rogers is unable to do this job. Now, we all know what's going to carry these people. It's, it's going to be that flying boat. That's just like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is sort of like the flying boat in this. We are the ones that, for whatever reason, got assigned the task of flying it, of, of, of manning it, of, of doing it. And I don't know if you feel what John Kelly Rogers uh, could be feeling in this, but that's some significant weight. It's like he knows he can do it. He likes the challenge, but, whoa. You see, a flying boat is designed to pull this amazing mission off. Jesus Christ is the way to the Father. He is the way to fulfilling this amazing calling that we have. We must enter into Christ by faith. And he's like a plane. And when we do, we are able to accomplish something that John Kelly Rogers cannot accomplish on his own. And that's why I love this parallel. Remembering the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has done something for us. When he died on that cross, he created a way. When he was buried, when he rose again to newness of life, and when he ascended, he created a multi-stop journey for those of faith. That when we believe in him, in a sense, we climb in through his wounds at the cross inside of him as a plane. 
And then he takes us through his death into that burial and he nullifies the flesh and the old man, the life that we once lived. He buries it six feet under and then he knocks away the stone, rolls it away and busts forth in newness of life. And as a result, we share in that newness of life by faith. And when he ascends into the throne room of grace, when he ascends on high, we go with him. And as as it says in Ephesians 2, we are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ. And so this is the glorious gospel of Christ is that we have been brought into the plane. We have a flying boat that is able to supply us everything we need for life and godliness. It has all the petrol we need. And we are carrying the ultimate assignment inside. Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is going to move in. We have an illustrious guest. The living God is going to come aboard and he's going to say, I would like to live here. I would like this boat is my chosen vehicle to carry me all the way. Now, we have the strength of Christ and we now have the indwelling power of Christ to pull it off. The fact that John Kelly is even needed in this is what's more humorous. But God loves to enjoin us to his task, to bring us into this calling. He wants to share it with us. So it's interesting when you think about uh, planes because they parallel the kingdom of God really well. There's a law, there's, there's, there's a law of sin and death. And then there's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Two laws. The law of sin and death keeps us down. It's like the law of gravity. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ is sort of like the law of aerodynamics. It's what you experience when you enter into a plane. Though the law of gravity exists, when you enter into a plane, you trump that law with a higher law. The law of aerodynamics is a higher law. Just like when Jesus came, he opened up the avenue for us to enter into a higher law. Aerodynamics the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus so that we can actually fly. All of us could be well-meaning and get on top of a building, jump off and flap our arms. We're not going to fly because of the law of gravity. But when we enter into Christ, we are able to pull off a version of living that we cannot on our own. So the law of gravity, the law of aerodynamics, the power of the flying boat, this boat, this flying boat is a pretty unique and amazing thing. It's and I'll let uh, Winston Churchill describe it because his, his descriptions are very fascinating for it. But it is a huge uh, behemoth-like machine that is able to travel, I mean, 3,500 miles. Uh, and it has that much uh, tank room for petrol. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, the supernatural ability, the grace to carry the glorious cargo. You see, when the Holy Spirit moves into our life, he is supplying us with all that is needed for life and godliness. You see, we in and of ourselves can't do this. You see, we can believe in Jesus Christ, and many of us do, but then we leave off the power of the Holy Spirit to live out this life. And so it's like getting aboard a big plane, but not having the fuel to fly it, not having the oomph to get it off the ground. You see, this thing is a big, uh, it's a, as, as Winston Churchill will describe, it's hard to get off the water. It's hard to lift it off the ground. It's a big dude. And that's the same way we are. We don't get off the ground easily. What do we need? We need power. We need lift. That lift is the Holy Spirit. If you try and live out your Christianity in your own muscle, in your own grit and determination, you will flop. Many of us have experienced this. You're frustrated because you believe the right things. Your doctrine is correct, but you don't have power in your life. You must have the Holy Spirit, which is synonymous. It's a synonym with the idea of grace in the New Testament. Remembering the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who's moving in? Well, 
we know him as the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul is going to say in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How can we pull off this flight? And the way I would say it is by grace. Well, that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is going to enunciate this in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. What's laboring inside of Paul? The grace of God, the Holy Spirit. The grace of God is the working of God on our behalf. Well, who does that working? The Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus saved us by grace, by his working at that cross. And how are we saved today? Well, by the working of God, the Holy Spirit in us, which is grace. So we are saved by grace at the cross. We are saved by grace via the Holy Spirit from every temptation, every trial, every issue that we face today. This is how Christians live. We don't save ourselves. We're saved by grace. We're saved by God working on our behalf. The apostle Paul says to Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in that power that is in that flying boat. Be strong. I'm going to give you the petrol. Oh, Timothy. You see, I've built this flying boat called Jesus Christ for you. Be strong in that. Be strong because I'm going to supply you everything you need to make that flight. So Winston Churchill is going to continue the story. There's a lot of really good stuff that I cut out of the story. It's an extremely fascinating story, his return trip from uh, Washington. But I'll just give you, you know, some, some good moments in it. I woke up unconscionably early next morning. So he's still in Bermuda with the conviction that I should certainly not go to sleep. I must confess that I felt rather frightened. I thought of the ocean spaces and that we should never be within a thousand miles of land until we approached the British Isles. I thought perhaps I had done a rash thing, that there were too many eggs in one basket. Yeah, I could understand why he'd be saying that. You know how important this cargo is? Not just Winston Churchill, who is probably the most important person alive on earth at this time, as far as being able to marshal the forces of the allies and to be able to move those that are fighting for freedom's sake to victory. But his entire war cabinet and some of the most chief characters of it are on this plane as well. So I thought perhaps I'd done a rash thing that there were too many eggs in one basket. I had always regarded an Atlantic flight with awe, but the die was cast. Still, I must admit that if at breakfast or even before lunch, they had come to me to report that the weather had changed and we must go by sea, I should have easily reconciled myself to a voyage in the splendid ship which had come all this way to fetch us. He was very ready to hear an excuse of why they shouldn't fly the flying boat. I don't know if any of you have ever had that, where you're tremulous in taking these steps forward for Jesus. You know what he's asking you to do, but if God were to say, oh, by the way, just kidding, we would be rather happy to laugh at the joke. In other words, we're not necessarily desirous to head out into these difficult uh, challenges. God, do we have to? And the Abraham-Isaac issue is, is a very present tense for some of us where God is leading us into uncomfortable territory. And we're like, God, I'm going to raise my knife, but this is when you say stop. It was, as the captain had predicted, quite a job to get off the water. Indeed, I thought that we should hardly clear the low hills which closed the harbor. 
There was really no danger. We were in sure hands. The flying boat lifted ponderously a quarter of a mile from the reef, and we had several hundred feet to, of height to spare. Doesn't sound like much uh, to spare for in my mind. So you could just imagine this whole journey is starting out, out fraught with, with difficulty. There is no doubt about the comfort of these great flying boats. The motion was smooth, the vibration not unpleasant, and we passed an agreeable afternoon and had a merry dinner. These boats have two stories. Isn't that cool? Just think about going up a, you know, a stairwell inside of a, a, a plane. These boats have two stories, and one walks up a regular staircase to the control room. Darkness had fallen, and all the reports were good. We were now flying through dense mist at about 7,000 feet. I went to bed and slept soundly for several hours. Dense mist. There's going to be a carpet of clouds as we continue this. They can't see a thing, and they're flying this impossible journey. The, the parallels with what I've experienced in my own Christian walk are very sizable as I go through this story because this is the way it feels in so many regards. This is what it feels like. You're carrying this immense weight. You're carrying this incredible glory as a Christian. The, the life of Jesus, you're carrying a commission to herald this gospel to the nations. And you can hardly see a thing. In other words, every now and then the clouds will break and you see something, but it just looks like what you saw before. It's just ocean water. Maybe a little gull will fly by. In other words, you're not seeing a lot. You don't have a lot of clear idea of when this is going to finish, how long this is going to last, but you know you're headed in the right direction. I, I woke just before the dawn and went forward to the controls. The daylight grew. Beneath us was an almost unbroken floor of clouds. After sitting for an hour or so in the co-pilot's seat, I sensed a feeling of anxiety around me. Uh-oh. Okay. Every good story has to have a little tension and conflict. We were supposed to be approaching England from the southwest, and we ought already to have passed the Skilly Islands. But they had not been seen through any of the gaps in the cloud floor. Uh-oh. As we had flown for more than 10 hours through mist and had, had only one side of a star in that time, we might well be slightly off course. Oh, no, guys, this can be made into a movie. This is good stuff. Are they off course? Remember how important this cargo is? You ever felt this in your Christian walk, too? It's like, uh, are we off course here? Wireless communication was, of course, limited by the normal wartime rules. You don't want to just start your wireless communication and have the Germans overhear it and go, aha, we know exactly where he is. Bring out the Luftwaffe. That's the, uh, the air squadrons of the Germans. It was evident from the discussions which were going on that we did not know where we were. Oh, no. This is where it goes to black. And we say next week, uh, as we continue the amazing uh, dramas in World War II, we will continue this story. Okay, I won't do that to you. Presently, Portal, who's one of his war cabinet uh, leaders, who had been studying the position, had a word with the captain and then said to me, we're going to turn north at once. This was done, and after another half hour in and out of the clouds, we sighted England and soon arrived over Plymouth. We're avoiding the balloons, which were all shining. We landed comfortably. As I left the aircraft, the captain remarked, Whew, I never felt so much relieved in my life as when I landed you safely in the harbor. That's a, that's a heavenly statement when we get finally to our heavenly home. Whew, I am so glad to be home. But you'll understand why he said that. I did not appreciate the significance of his remark at the moment. Later on, I learned that if we had held on our course for another five or six minutes before turning northwards, we should have been over the German batteries in Brest. We had slanted too much to the southward during the night. Moreover, the decisive correction which had been made brought us in not from the southwest, but from just, just east of south. 
That is to say, from the enemy's direction rather than from that from which we were expected. This had a result, as I was told some weeks later, that we were reported as a hostile bomber coming in from Brest. And six hurricanes, which are the British fighter pilots, from fighter command were ordered to shoot us down. However, they failed in their mission. Whoa, that's a great story. Don't you love how simple Winston Churchill puts it? Oh, they failed in their mission. To President Roosevelt, I cabled. We got here with a good hop from Bermuda and a 30-mile wind. That's all he says. The Apostle Paul is going to say this in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace, to make all grace abound toward you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Okay, so tell me. You need to get from the Bermuda Islands to Great Britain. Somehow, some way. You have enemy fighter pilots that want to take you down. You have a floor of clouds. You have a dense mist. And you have a cargo that is so valuable that you need to somehow carry to this destination. What do you need? You need grace. And Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And finally, Jesus Christ is going to finish it up for us today in John 14, 10 and 12. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Do you not understand how this all works? You see, I am actually in the Father. The Father is in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. How is Jesus going to function? By the fact that the Father is going to take him and his body and animate it and make it work. This is the life of Christ. We are the body of Christ. You see, it's not the Father in us, it's the Holy Spirit in us that does exactly what we see in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Jesus is going unto the Father so that he can give us the life of God, the Holy Spirit. What a gift. What an amazing treasure. We have an impossible voyage, but we have everything we need to make it from the Bermuda Islands to the island of Great Britain. Praise God for that fact. Father, we celebrate your life given to us. And Lord, we want to freshly consecrate ourselves to you today. These hands, may they be your hands. These feet, may they be your feet. These hearts, may they beat with your burdens. These eyes, may they see what you want us to see in this world. These mouths, may we speak, Lord Jesus, as your body, that which you must have spoken in this generation. Lord, here we are. Send us. Send us on the impossible missions on the impossible voyage. Lord, may your Holy Spirit, may your illustrious cargo move in. And Lord, may you enable us to fly across this vast Atlantic Ocean, even with the enemy trying to find us and shoot us down. Lord, we know you'll bring us safely home. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. 
We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.